You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, and welcome again to the Monster Sci-Fi Show. I am your host, the Monster, back to give you part two of our Dune Book Club. So if you've not listened to book one, or Why Dune is Great podcast, then by all means, I highly recommend that you do so. So on that note, let me shut up and introduce the gang. So let's get started. We finally have our book club. This is our second meeting for Dune, which I didn't get to finish, which is okay. I'm okay to be forgiven because, again, it's a really good thing. Uh, today is June. June. Oh, God. Uh, oh, Monty, it's almost June over. In June, you know. 2020 is almost over. June book two. <laughs> December 18th. The team pointed out that I got the date wrong, so I'm like, okay, it's the 19th. So, all right. Shush. (laughs) All right, so introductions for us. We have Heather. Hi. Rebecca. Hello. And uh, we have Montgomery, which is me here in this noon. So let's do a quick uh, roundhouse introduction. Let's start with you, Mr. Gene. Hi, I'm Mr. Gene. I'm Gene, a friend of Montgomery and test subject for Dune, (laughs) (laughs) for reading Dune. These meetings are really all about Gene, like us trying to pressure him to get into this franchise. And so far, apparently, we've succeeded. So I haven't given up yet. Yes. (laughs) Thank gosh for audiobooks, though. Yeah. (laughs) I'll do it sometimes. Honestly, that's how I'm actually kind of, because my mind's been wandering, is just staying focused with audiobooks and the book itself together. It's kind of like helped me kind of stay on target. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me is that it's a performance for the audiobook, you know? So you get the inflections and, and some of the dialogue is a little bit better than I would imagine it or, or delivered better. So I'm like, oh, I get it now. Thank you for the context. So that, that helps out a lot too. Okay. And we have someone new with us. Me? Yeah, you. Okay. <laughs> so I'm Melinda, but I'm here as a observer, a patron, a participant, whatever you want to call me. I'm here to get into the book club. Monty made me do it. I've never read Dune before. I've, I've known of it. And I remember thinking, that's that weird movie with Sting, right? You know, that's all I knew about it. <laughs> oh, you need to be here for the first two meetings. But since I started reading it, I, I really like it. Like, I'm surprised. Um, it, I, I, I really appreciate the universe that it created. For me, I feel it was easy to, um, to get into the universe and to understand. I mean, I'm confused, but I'm into it. Like, I'm curious. And I, and I know that my, answer, my questions will be answered as I go through the series, at least I hope. We'll see about that. So we'll see. Uh, <laughs> but real quick, uh, Melinda yeah. and I, oh, it's the Sandman, the fourth book, 
is coming out on January 9th for us to do the next book club. So Mr. Gene also is part of that. So if anyone's interested, yeah, we I recommend start joining up on our book club, which is going to be Saturday at two o'clock, January 9th, 2021. All right. This 2020 year will be over. Thank goodness. I don't think time, the coronavirus has a time frame. I know. I yeah. know. But um, um, yeah, we have, there's Joe. <laughs> Let's see the interior of his car again. <laughs> Anyone else who wants to like introduce themselves on chat or elsewhere, yeah. please feel free. Oh, yeah. we're going to be reading that too. If you don't want to be on camera on or audio, audio, there's going to be a chat function that you can chime in. You don't have to uh, feel obligated because, again, Dune is a very intensive book that you know. Even for the the ones who have, like know this intimately, we still at times get lost of a lot of details. So don't feel like you know you can't do this. Um, hold on. <laughs> Joe. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little late. Having the extreme talk down. <laughs> I was going to say, fix the camera. <laughs> you are so tall. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's better. That's so much better. What is that? It says, Joe, beer? What? Beer wars. Oh, beer wars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I need to do laundry soon. Thank you. Anyhow. <laughs> that's how it works. Okay. Well, one more day of work, Joe. Then you're on break. Yeah, you want to see a uh, quick hi, Joe? Uh, hi, Joe. I, Sorry, late. <laughs> I was trying to delay it just like the jihad. What can I say? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyhow, no, but uh, ooh, we're finally on book two. Yay. Ooh. We get to see into the insights of the, uh, of the Fremen. Yeah, we're more than halfway. Yeah, exactly. And so much has already happened. <laughs> Yeah. So much trauma. So much trauma. So much angst, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. Sixteen-year-old right. angst. You mean, you mean uh, so much angst, like a uh, a young person becoming a teenager and having to go through all those things, like finding out that your parents aren't infallible and all that other wonderful stuff, and that oh. this is an incredible allegory for it. It's yeah. OG angst. It, it is. <laughs> all right. So let's get started. We have. Oh, we got some more people joining us. Okay. Um, our plans within plans. So we have some Dune news, Dune toys, Dune comics. Then we'll finally talk about our Dune book discussion. And then I have a Dune surprise. So if you're not Dune out by now, you will be at the end of this program. <laughs> All right. So, oh, come on, work with me. So as you know, Denny... Villeneuve mm -hmm. is our director for the new Dune. He has done The Rival. He's done Blade Runner 2049, which he did start literally after he finished that movie, starting production on Dune. This and man does not sleep. <laughs> he's been doing this for the past three years. So we have, you know, this movie that's supposed to come out this month, which has been delayed till next year in October. And he's kind of upset, not so much about the, the move to October, but because of what HBO Max has done. So I want to ask and pick your brains about this decision. Mm -hmm. First off, we know that 
HBO Max is launching Wonder Woman next for Christmas. And 2021 is a slate of movies that were supposed to be released, but it will be released in the theaters. Plus, you would have the option to watch it at home with HBO Max. His complaint is that he spent, you know, a lot of time making this movie. And because now it's going to be on HBO Max, do you feel comfortable to go watch the movies in the theaters come October, given our pandemic situation? And then two, do you think seeing this on HBO Max is going to hurt its chances for a continuation of this franchise? Yes. Who wants to start? Because yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you start, Rebecca, and then I'll, I'll comment. Well, here's because here's here's my thing with it. Um, whether or not I I'll feel comfortable in October, because you never know uh, with like stuff that's recent in the news, we might be in a good spot by October of next year. Um, but sadly with something like this, it's not really up to individual effort. Um, it's up to companies deciding like, okay, how do we want to approach this? How do we cut our losses? And what does this mean for the future? And the film industry, like as, as much as it wants to value art is ultimately about money. And like, as much as it wants, like this director is really good in my opinion. And he's gotten critical acclaim for his last two sci-fi movies like that I think is well-deserved because I recently rewatched Arrival and it hits so much harder given the, the politics of this last year. Um, but it's also just a very smart movie on its own right. So something like Dune that's like three hours long based on the franchise from the 60s that is very like near and dear to the hearts of sci-fi nerds, but not necessarily something that the general public is immediately going to click with. It's kind of like a Lord of the Rings situation where it's a gamble mm-hmm. where like in the, in the future, I'm sure we'll look back and if it's good, we'll be like, oh, that was a classic. That was a cinematic feat. Like this was amazing. But during production, like they were terrified that they were going to lose money. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of worried that this move is kind of like what happened with Mulan where they were like, well, like what matters here is the Chinese market. We'll release it over there and we'll cut our losses in America. And then Mulan didn't do that good. Um, they, from what I can gather, they lost a lot of money and even, even out of touch people can say, well, like, you release it directly on streaming services, you lose money because piracy is so much easier. Like a couple of like 10 people jump on Discord, they stream the movie, you lost whatever like ticket prices those people would have paid. So I'm worried uh, that this decision is already gonna like the uphill battle that Dune was probably gonna have, that it was gonna try and carry like momentum and fan approval and, and fan support. It's just gonna gut it. Like it's, I think, uh, I don't know if Monty mentioned it now, but he mentioned it earlier that our director, he's like, he's really worried that this is going to mean like you get one movie. It was really expensive. Now we can't even recuperate it in the box office. You don't get a second movie. Yeah. So, and then on a personal level, I like, I haven't, I don't actually go to the movies, uh, the movies that often, not anymore. Um, But like the last thing that I saw was in the movie theater was Endgame. And as, as much of a complicated relationship as I have with the MCU and as much as it's something that I'm kind of phasing out of my life, like that was something I needed to see in the movie theater because it was designed to be experienced in the movie theater. And that's kind of the same way that I feel about Dune. 
um, even with like the three hour long runtime, it's something you need to be fully immersed in. And he's very good at that, in my opinion. And then that's my rant. Like, <laughs> whatever you guys think. I don't know that Dune has the staying power. I mean, it, it, it'll immediately go to cult, you know, and, and sci-fi people will, will enjoy it. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad they're, they're, they're doing it again. This is like, what, the third time or fourth time they've, they've tried to do the story. But I don't know if it has the staying power. I mean, I don't know if it would make money even if it was, re if it was released theatrically as, as it was intended, you know. But I think that the fact that it's going pretty much straight to HBO Max, I mean, sure, you'll do the, the it's on HBO Max and it's also released in theaters, but it's not going to be able to recoup its money. You know, it, it's such a, such a rarity, this, this, because no one knows Dune and, and no one knew Lord of the Rings either at the time, I don't think too many people, but Lord of the Rings was pretty to look at. Dune is kind of out there, you know, desert vistas, not it's, really. It's a lot rougher. Yeah, I'll say yeah, that. It's not going to be pretty to look at. It's going to be, oh, it's windy. Oh, no, the sandworms. It's it's going to be strange. I don't I don't know if, if I would have picked this movie to, you want to make this movie? Like, no. No. How many people have read this book? A few. And, and where are they? Most of them are dead now. No, I just, <laughs> I don't know. It's just. I think it, it has a strong fan base, but I don't know. Like, that doesn't necessarily translate to the mainstream public. Yeah. The fact that we now have streaming and we're being taught to like streaming, you know, yeah, but because we, we, don't, we don't feel safe going, yeah. leaving our homes, it's going to take a while to get people back to movie theaters. I don't think we're going to go back to comfortably to movie theaters till 2022, you know? I, let's see how long it takes to get the vaccines and feel comfortable again. You know, it's going to take a while. Yeah, I think it's going to take a while, but I honestly... I have friends who dress up and then go to the movies. We used to go like collectively. I had like, I want to be in my still suit that I create with trash bags in the movie theater to see the worms. Wow, I, the cosplayer. I will stream oh, TV because they like, it's fun, but like, I want the viewing party experience where I get to like, look at my friend and just be like, yes, it's happening. Um, I, I want to see it in theaters. I don't think it will do as well on a streaming service and at in that aspect. Um, I also think that the like Denny, he's an artist and he's seeing what's better, like what's the best way to view his art. And I don't think it's through streaming it personally on your because you you become skeptical and you're like, is this supposed to happen? And you can look over to someone else and they're like, yes. Also, if I can just watch it on my phone, like in this tiny screen it's not going to be the same experience. And I think it's it's both two angles. It's from like the artist side of, I designed this to be in a big screen to like, you're trapped in a movie theater in complete darkness, only staring forward. Because um, that does a lot for your brain. But it's also, I think he's also aware that like the film industry relies a lot on numbers. And I don't know if like, even, even if like the metrics are amazing and it turns out like thousands and thousands of people watched it on HBO Max, is that gonna matter as much as box office ticket, like as, as tickets yeah. sold? I don't feel like a lot of people are likely to like be at home and be like, ah, because people look forward to like getting with their friends and going to the movies and like talking and socializing. You don't have that social aspect. I feel like a lot of people are just gonna tune out. Oh, I'll check it uh, from the library when it, and it gets there on DVD, but it's not the same 
viewing experience. You're not going to. It's not an event, yeah. that's, that's true, but I, I'd like to say that I recently saw Tenet, you know, and I know that Monty, you went to the movies here to see Tenet, and that's how it's supposed to be experienced. We all know that, and mm -hmm. I, I, I respect and I appreciate that. But the fact of the matter is, right now, I've got a really big screen TV in my home, you know, and I can watch it. You can all I can watch it streaming. And I can pause it and I can go to the bathroom and I can yell and scream at the screen and, and that's fine in my own home, but I can't do that in the theater very much. You know what I mean? But it's, it, and I can get my friends in my home and pay, you know, what, $13.95 for HBO Max and get it for free or, you know, for that charge rather than all of us go to the movie theater and spend like $50 and then there's concessions. You know, it, it's easier to be at home. But I, I do understand and fully respect the idea that you know, but it's better in a theater. But it's it's yeah. going to take a while to feel safe in the theaters again. Mm. You know, because I mean, right now the pandemic is it's at its worst right now, and it's it's terrifying to leave the home now. How about doing an online watch party? Have you guys ever done that, or would you be interested in watching Dune as a watch party, like with your friends, like this, but like together? I don't know. I don't know how what that would look like, but I'd be open to it. Um, I would yeah. totally set up a tent in my house because you will get to that part um and then just like you could view me as i view it <laughs> and then we view each other viewing them separately from our own i mean i think it's it would reaction. be better in in the movie theater but if that's not an option that we have right now i do think we should still move forward with it and try to make the best of it <laughs> all right um anyone else want to chime in before we go on to the next yeah, just uh, I do think this movie should be seen in the theater if possible. He was designed that way. And it makes me think of Gene when we went to go see Pacific Rim. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, imagine watching that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we saw it. We went to the biggest uh, IMAX theater in South Florida. We went to what the yeah, um, Museum of Science in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I mean, it was an experience. And I thought that Dune would basically benefit from a similar experience. Now, whether we can have that practically, that's in the air. Yeah. I'm hoping that we can, but I understand everyone's trepidation. I'm just sad that the, the timing of all this, it would have been an amazing movie to see in the theaters, and I'm still hoping to do so. Mm -hmm. I'd like to give you a, a shout out, Heather, though. If you wear a still suit, the premiere of this in October, when it opens up, I'm going to be impressed, but I'd also I like to say- I one out of garbage bags and pool noodles, and I, like, me and my friends, we, we go all out. I will find the paper mache. It will happen. You That's just need awesome. to make, like, a COVID awesome. mask. And it's it's your to you. Nope. Yeah. Just paint it black and just, you know, it, it would be cool. <laughs> but I, I also have to say, there's also the, the movie theaters have also said that you can't bring, like, guns or knives because of recent news events. You know, yeah, you just make a cardboard cutout. You need the cardboard. That's all. Wait, not even recent events. I'm, I'm getting on a tangent here, but like years ago when they did a re-release of Phantom Menace, I remember in like a midnight screening, one of the ushers walked in and was like, "All right, if anybody has any lightsabers, you need to turn them in." Like, can't <laughs> <laughs> bring stuff like that into the theater. What goes down? I'm movies. I'm just saying. <laughs> People warning like Heather. Home. Yeah. Right. I have this Chris knife. <laughs> Is that a butter knife? What do you know? <laughs> it's we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. 
of a Chris knife. It's not showing up very well. It's okay. Now All there right. will be blood. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the segment that I've been talking about for the last two segments, which are the Dune toys. Okay, right. Know. So I said that I had these on pre-order, right? And the fact that it got delayed since October 26. And I'm like, it should be here. And I was really excited to do a, a book, a book, yeah, uh, boxing, boxing, boxing. so to speak. And then, no. <laughs> so, oh my God. And I, I try to cue this up so I can do the music just right. So <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do. You can still buy the figures. And you should. I got them for like $19 each, but now they're like twice the price and they're not always together. So I'm like, great. Thanks. <laughs> but we still got time because if the movie's not coming out literally almost a year from when I ordered it, you know, they should still be around. I can still get them. Yeah, but when the movie comes out, they're not going to be around. I don't know. That, Remember that... what happened to the Wonder Woman? The Wonder Woman thing yeah. that we got? They yeah. don't around anymore. Uh, but Gene did send me a link um, through, uh, it's Variety, Gene? Yeah. But Timothy uh, Chalamet and how Todd McFarlane did the figure for his character. So I'm going to post that in the chats so you can look at that uh, that later. But again, one of the cool aspects of sci-fi sometimes for a lot of us is that we love the merchandise. And I'm really was getting excited about these new Dune figures since we saw how bad the original ones were back in 1984. So unfortunately, I do have them, some bad news on that front. At that front so. But we'll move on. So we have some news about Dune comics. So... I mentioned earlier about this on Hoopla. This book was now um, was going to be for purchase. You can get this now through your Hoopla with your electronic library card. So I just wanted to give you a couple of quick stills from it. But this is book one that, as I was reading the forward, they wanted this to be its own thing, not mirroring the 1984 movie, not mirroring the 2020 movie or now 2021 movie, it was going to be its own thing. So I was really kind of excited to read that. So I started looking through it a bit, but between everything at work and, and trying to get this club ready, it was just too much for me to uh, go backwards. I need to finish book two, which I still didn't get to do. But it is on Hoopla and I'm excited so much about this. But wait, there's more. So I also mentioned, um, I think in the first club, that we also had um, new Dune comics, right? This is Dune House of Trades. This, I think, takes place, if I'm not mistaken, 30 years before Dune or right before stuff that happens in Dune. So this is now it's on its third reprint, which is exciting that it's now on a third print, third printing count, and on its third printing. And I think as of December 2nd, the second book has now come out. So it's a 12 part series. 
And what's even better, this is also now on Hoopla. So you can also read this right now. So you don't have to like buy the books or wait to finish like the whole series. You can get it within the time it gets released and it's on Hoopla. So I was ecstatic to see that this was on our library's uh, database for Hoopla. So really cool. So on that note, let's get started with our book discussion. We have, you know, got a good hour to go. Uh, so Rebecca, do you want to do it or Heather? Do you have to share? Yeah, Rebecca okay. has it. <laughs> so I will say that these questions I feel like are a lot more broad and theme-based because Heather and I like both read the entire book and we were trying really hard not to spoil stuff about part three. Um, things happen. Yeah, if we do, I'm so sorry, but just take it as an incentive to keep reading. Things happen that are it. different from the movie that we're all familiar with? Well, it's I'm like, not. There <laughs> might be, actually. But keep reading, G. Yeah, things that happen differently. <laughs> yeah, I know the, the little whirring machines or whatever it is. Oh, uh, we didn't talk about that, but we should have. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Dune discussion questions. So I thought I'd get like the obvious question out of the way, which is how far did you get into book two? And uh, how do you compare the reading experience to book one? No shame if you didn't finish, if you're still trekking through it. <laughs> I just want to hear your overall thoughts on it. It'll refresh you. It'll be fine. Who wants to go first? <laughs> Dude, I'm still at book one. I'm like, <laughs> oh no, we're going to spoil Melinda. <laughs> Do it. I appreciate it's a preview. it. preview. That's totally fine. I will keep reading. I'm not worried about spoilers. Where, which part are you on, Melinda? Like, roughly. Oh my gosh. All right. So I was listening to the audiobook. In the part in the audiobook, I am right where, oh God, I'm embarrassed, but I'm right where they um, tried to kill uh, Paul just the, for the first time. And <laughs> yeah, and Lito is really angry. And he's like, he goes on about it, doesn't he? Right. And, over and over again. They tried to kill my son. Right. Yeah. And um, I think that's where I left off in the audiobook. Well, there, there is like a like a daddy issues question that comes up later on. Because we're really like Heather and I were like, we really gotta analyze things. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, like you can I I think that's something that pops up a lot even in the first book. It's really like it's it's too influential to Paul who his parents are not to be able to discuss it at any point. So um, I threw it in here, but it's something that like you can relate to stuff that happens in the first part of the book. Easy peasy. So what about you, Gene and Joe? Like, how far did you get? I got, I, got, I, I fell 80 pages short. Uh, I got to the point where I think Paul killed, uh, Paul just got named Mwadib. He picked his own name. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. I, got, I remember that from the movie. I do not remember the part where he kills Jameis. I think. Oh, I, that's my favorite scene. I don't know. <laughs> it goes on for a while. I, mean, I like the way they, no, he doesn't know the ways. And, and I was, all right, it's cool. You're taking your time with it, but all right, I get it. I kind of really like the world building on that scene, which we're going to talk about later, yeah. especially the like shedding the tears aspect, the preservation of water. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm glad right, you read right. that one. And then it's it's something we can like, like now Melinda's going to be our test group. She's going to be our, you got to sell you on the story. Um, and anyone else who's on the well, back. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm uh, halfway through uh, uh, what's uh, Dune Messiah. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, you're far I'm, ahead, man. I know that far ahead. It's just like, okay. I mean, uh, but all I wanted to say was that <laughs> it's such an interesting contrast to the first book. But uh, as for uh, Moadib, um, I, I, I just love all the iconography within it. Again, it teaches you about the Fremen and uh, the power of his prophetic dreams and what he has to go through in order to be able to do what he has to do later. Because mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, again, this is an extension of the litany of fear. He has to go through this unknown, survive everything, and Jamis is basically a, uh, a threshold guardian to speak, if you want to use the um, Joseph Campbell... Uh, oh, the hero's journey? Uh, simple. Yep, the hero's journey. In other words, Damis is the, the the main threshold guardian. He's not the main antagonist, but he is sort of like the, the guy you have to go past. And even even the way it was worded within that book, in that he's thinking, okay, so what happens if this occurs? What happens if that occurs? Because you have to think of all the probabilities if you're able to see in the future. And he goes, this isn't something I quite saw. But we'll we'll get more into that <laughs> all through up. Uh, the rest of the book yeah yeah i will say that about um because i was trying to break it down earlier with heather so like part one getting to know the world getting to know paul getting to know the structure of the, the noble houses and what's at stake that's what's interesting about part one but part two really getting to know the freeman and forming a connection with arrakis as a both a wasteland but also a beautiful world that like can be influenced by us can be changed whether that's for good or for bad reasons like that's that's yeah. it's the world building that really like sticks with me in book two as well as like i i ended up having two questions in dr kynes here i'm sorry if i'm mispronouncing names because he's my favorite like favorite ecologist favorite yeah favorite guy um and and then part three is all about the little child but like we'll get we'll get to that in the next discussion Heather wants to talk. It's going down. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, like I agree with you. I think book one was to create a setting for us to give us meaning to the planet Arrakis and why we care about certain characters and creating a history and a background for everybody. And then I feel like book two, we get into the angst. It's like things have gone down and now I have to be a man and you know what it means to evolve and this is where he's been given you know his first task in his hero journey in his you know he cannot pass go until he completes this task and he joins up with the freeman things go down we'll get on to that but I feel like the first part of like book one is really just creating a setting we're learning yeah and we're getting you know attached to these characters and why we you know are viewing from Paul's perspective but also like his mother Jessica and then things happen people die and now we're at book two and we're dealing with the aftermath of like okay what decisions do I make now and they still don't like can't fully cope with it either like Jessica is still struggling with a lot and she ends up having to suffer even more in book two um, as a result of the choices, but I also want to say that, like, if you struggled in part one, and or even if you're, like, just started reading it, you're still getting into it, I think you don't realize how much information you've retained once you get to part two, and things happen where you're like, oh, it's because of this, and because of that aspect, and 
because of the armor or the culture or the way that the planet is set up. So I think it does a good job at building upon itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does get a little easier to follow along and to get lost in it. Mm-hmm. Getting right. yeah. lost the keywords. <laughs> oh, I think, oh, go ahead. No, um, but for me, it's, it's, so, it's so rich and so dense and Herbert keeps throwing in these, just these little factoids little bits like I'm reading it and I'm going along and I'm like there's a bit where it's like Jessica thought like that something about uh the, the, the Benny Jesuits have already been on on the planet teaching the Fremen stuff if, if only like wait if only he knew the tricks we used he must have been good that Benny Jesuit of the Missionera Protectiva, Protectiva these things right. are leaving us and I'm like where did that come from so they've been there before I'm like all right, th- thanks for letting me know that. Thanks for just throwing that in. Like, okay. The, you know, but it, you, you can pass over it quickly. But it's you kind of have to. Later on. If it's important later on, then you'll know it when you see it again. You know what I mean? It's just like, all right, oh, and then there's this. Like, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah. I, I think that is such a thing for the Bene Gesserits to do. Like, they insert themselves in this culture and gives them the, the word of the prophet, so to speak, but then they make this kind of lie that they embed themselves with. So it's just like- Building their own like legacy and- Right, so that's why, you know, like, and then all of a sudden, like Jessica starts quoting this this uh, thing from the protective that then it was just like, oh, she <laughs> must be one of ours now or the, the Reverend Mother. So, but I'm like, Anyone with that information could have just slipped in yeah. and it to be this. So it's like you, you make the Fremen to believe something that is what they're controlling in the end. And it just seems, again, from a distance after some time looking back at the novel, I'm like, wow, that's kind of some messed up stuff. That's kind of how I felt rereading it where I was like, this on the second read, and maybe it's just me projecting, it feels a lot more critical of like structured, organized religion. Mm-hmm. Because it kind of like tells you that like all this stuff that may be mystical or that is like foretold, it was all planned. It's like right, lifting exactly. the veil on like basically a backstory of the, the Messiah. And it's like, no, 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 this isn't fate. This is like all <laughs> these women were like, no, we're going to do this. <laughs> We've been planning it for a millennia. Mm-hmm. And well, again, we'll talk about legacy a little bit more later on in the PowerPoint, but like, <laughs> Because it, it's not just about like the legacy of the Bene Gesserit, but also individual legacy, family legacy, the whole daddy issues thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Heather <laughs> touched upon this a little bit earlier where we got to talk about the angst. Um, compared to the beginning of the story, Paul has undergone trauma and heartbreak, as well as come to learn the extent of his prophetic abilities. I think he's kind of still like in the process of. Um, what's your impression on how Paul has or has not changed given all that he's been subjected to? And the reason that I phrase it like that is because I think at the last meeting, we also kind of concluded that Paul is not really like a regular 15 year old boy. Like there are aspects of him that are very young, but for the most part, he kind of already behaved as someone that had great um, expectations and powers that were kind of brewing inside him. He was operating under that mindset from the beginning. So like, what's your take on the evolution of his character so far? 
Yeah, because when Paul starts out, he's meant to be a mintet. He's training and he's got all of his father's men teaching him how to fight, teaching him about the culture of Arrakis, that they're, the planet that they're going to be moving to. And as we come into book two, he's dealing with the aftermath of the death and them running away into the desert, into a storm, trying to get away from people who are out to kill him. He has lots of people throughout the entire books, Melinda, who try to kill him. And <laughs> And, and sometimes you're like, I know it's the Harkonnens. It's always the Harkonnens. And sometimes it's not. It's not. <laughs> um, oh, poor guy. But yeah, but he's he's more of a jaded character in book two. And I feel like he feels like I can no longer be a child. He does have like a mini tantrum where he looks at his mom and he's just like, what did you do? Mm. Um, and just like. Yeah. But like Monty said last time, that was like the one scene where you were like, oh, that's right. Paul's a kid yeah, like, Paul's- like he's been through a lot and he's only 15 16 like he's just yeah. a child it's a lot worse because you know here he is fighting Jameis mm-hmm. oh I love that scene I'm sorry yeah. right <laughs> it's it's fun. I like it too like he's given yeah. care of Hara and I'm like so so you can have her as your servants or as your wife and I'm like I'm Whoa. like 15. What am I going to do? Are you old enough to get married, child? <laughs> and I'm like, I, the burden put on him is so unfair that he has to not only grow up in like within like weeks, but he just killed a man. And now he has his family that he has to take care of and be responsible for. I'm like, wow. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, he has to immediately face those consequences. Yeah. even imagine just not just because it's a different culture it's not like he's not going to know that that's the custom but it's also that like yeah he's a kid like he's is he really even going to be thinking about getting married right now is he really even finished processing the fact he has and fate and yeah and he's been dreaming of chani and are they going to get together oh, we I don't. Have questions about chani so actually i'll, I'll ask that here <laughs> what do you guys think of her as a character because i i really like her. like <laughs> She has a lot of potential. Does she yep. get better in future books? I would. Yes, she's the okay. side. Yeah. Oh yes, definitely. Okay, as I think, I remember more or less how the story ends for her. Um, but to me, she's also a point of, like Paul retaining some of his like innocence, where they seem to have fun together. They. Yeah, he they, he's yeah. Able- relax with her and feel like because because in his dreams he's known her for a while so yeah he feels comfortable and then when she literal dream girl I feel like now i'm gonna yeah she's your manic pixie dream girl um oh. she's the ultimate side piece she's bay she is bay um <laughs> <laughs> oh my but yeah think of, think of bay you've known for all your life and then you finally meet her and she doesn't know you yeah, think of how that would shock your system. It's yeah, think about it like uh, I mean, I, I love the way that Timothy Chalamet did it in the, in the even the preview. Where he's like, I know you, and she's like, Who are you? Yeah, she's like, Hello. All <laughs> this, like, what? I've never met you in my life. Who are you? And like, Oh. Yeah, and, <laughs> and like, Paul had all of this training, and 
I feel like in some way it prepared him to have some of his prescient abilities to see um, his ancestry in the past on both sides because he is special, special mixed special pants. Um, but I feel like that's really prepared him. So he's coming in to, to an extent. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, to an extent. I don't think he was as prepared as Jessica was when she went through the training and she can only see from, you know, the female aspect of her ancestry. Paul can see through both. That's a lot of people in his head. A lot of things are going down. He's dealing with the grief of his father that he, I don't feel like he's really being able to process because he's got all this responsibility. Plus they're running away from people trying to murder them in a storm. Yeah, and I, I think the book sets up a good distinction between like, trying to prepare for something studying and learning and yeah. having good mentors and then actually experiencing yeah, the and thing then, you saw you were prepared for yeah and he's like finding out that like apparently he's the messiah and he's just looking around being like what what is going <laughs> down um and he's living you know all these things that these Furman people were told by the Benny Gesserits are starting to come true and we've got this, you know, he's, deal well, now he's questioning, oh my God, am I? Am I the Messiah? But there's a definite change in this character from book one to book two, mm -hmm. you know, because there's the whole, the attempt, and it, 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 it jumps. They're, they're unconscious, and then on the ship, and what have you, and I'm reading it, and then Jessica starts seeing that her son is standing differently, and he's so mature, and he's, you know, he's distant. And you're wondering why. And like, oh yeah, Yui sent me a letter about what was going to happen. And I'm like, oh, that's convenient. Thanks for letting me know that now as we're going forward. But it's, it was all right. I liked it. It was, you know, it flows narratively, I guess. Just Feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here's some information you should have known a while ago. You've seen it happen. And now the character knows about it. So, okay, cool. Thanks. All right. Yeah. It's his, him, his uh, what you call it, his indoctrination into adulthood. It's yep. like, now you're, you're, yeah, you're fully, now you have to be an adult. You have no choice. All right, so the next question. So water being such a precious resource in Arrakis means Freeman culture is shaped and defined by its, um, I didn't mean perseverance, like by, yeah, there you go. Um, they extract water from the, preservation. They extract water from the dead and uh, consider crying at either a noble act or it's just very baffling to them because it's a great sacrifice to shed tears over someone. So what was your impression of the world building and culture presented? And um, I'll talk really quick about this because I feel like I'm oh, dominating some of these sections, but that was part of the reason why that fight scene that Jean was referencing um, was one of my favorites is because I felt like I came to learn just the level of the preservation and, and reverence that they had towards water as a resource. And then what I was telling Heather was that I think emphasizing that, I think setting the world, like setting the story in a planet where water is scarce, like it makes sense uh, from even a, a, perspective, a cosmological perspective, like water on a planet, especially the abundance that we have here on earth is pretty rare. So it makes sense that on this alien world, it's also, it's extremely rare. Um, and it's something that is important to us as humanity. So when he when he puts the emphasis on humanity and he makes water like the resource of life, um, it kind of helps the longevity of the book kind of have an impact even now, where you can you can definitely relate and see, of course, 
it matters this much. Of course, the Freemen care for it this much. And I don't know, like, that's just one aspect. Uh, What I really wanted this question to be about was about the type of world that's being established. And some of it is also related to, like, the religion that they have or um, the folklores and the mythologies and even the kind of, like, survival culture of the Freemen, the the emphasis on being able to survive not just each other, but this planet. So what do you guys think? I feel like it, like it's honorable and in, in like they give water so much importance that like they're like their fallen man who fell in battle, just like we would have probably back in the day taken shoes off of someone in a war. They're, like, they're dragging the body back, finding a way to hook it up and be like, we need to preserve this water so that we can continue on and we have the best resources and take. And so when Paul <clears throat> sheds tears, it's kind of interesting to see how like everybody's just kind of like, what is happening? Why is he doing this? The water is so precious that they're like, it. it's kind of it's, and he's not, yeah, and he's not shedding tears over, like, a family member. This is someone yeah, that he doesn't really know or have that, like, he didn't grow up with this person. He didn't have a lot of conversations with them. And it's just kind of like, and he's just shedding it, tears over a stranger. Yeah, so from a Freeman perspective, yeah. it must be even, like, it's more baffling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think oh, well. the, the, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the, the, the bigger situation that comes from the water because all the sieges that we talk about and we're seeing the book how Silvar wants to like change like the ecology basically of doing itself and we're not going to see this in his generation or his kids or grandkids or whatever but the, the fact that they're planning to make this kind of change I, I'm still kind of like bogged down in my head because it, it's one thing to have this spice that controls so much of the world and the galaxy and whatever to make things go but the freemen want to kind of reshape this world to kind of almost take it out of context or out of that need to make iraq Mm -hmm. the focus of everyone so i'm not sure if that's the game plan Mm -hmm. because like in in the movie at the end which in 1984 all makes it rain yeah what's with that scene yeah. So, but it's I, it, it kind of plays into that sense of like they have all these all this water. They're saving it, and they're going to do what with it? Because I also talk about melting the polar ice caps to mm-hmm. also change the surface of Arrakis. So I'm like, what is that going to do? Like from a, an ecological point of view, what's that going to do for the worms that are on Arrakis or any life form that depends on this? The worms will drown and die. Then you don't. Yeah, they cannot survive if the ecology of the planet changes. I, I, I can just take it for a moment. Um, and if you remember the plan, it's like you know, it was Leah Kynes and then with his father. Uh, the whole idea of the paleontology and just being able to reshape Arrakis to be able to be both hospitable to the worms and to humanity. That's what they wanted it to do. They said they'd have a deep desert for the old man of the desert but that they would have um, a greater area for humanity to be able to survive on this world where water is the most precious substance. Well, where water and spice compete to be the most precious substance. Yeah. Because you honestly need both to be able to live there. That's true. Now, um, going back to the original question about the, the, 
the concept of water. I feel like this is almost like Herbert's um, commentary on the Abrahamic religions. I know that I'm I'm really reaching for this, but it, he's saying, well, look, we have the concept of the Messiah. This is one way to reinterpret how this would occur. I, I mean, it's both cynical, but at the same time, he's going, there are things that are out of our control, but they still occur. Mm-hmm. Even though we, we have the entire setup for the mission of protective and everything else, he's sort of saying, okay, uh, we have a hero who basically fits all the, takes off all the check marks for being this quote messiah. So what happens if we do introduce him where he's supposed to be? I mean, even with uh, the consideration of like the Irulian's writing, she's going to always place Paul where he's supposed to be. Even though he was born on Caledon and lived uh, the majority of his youth there, that was never his place. Dune is his place. A rocket. So... That's where he's I, I, I always just thought that that was very, very fascinating how he pulled all those strings together. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, it is something. Uh-huh. So, yeah, and something that you said, like, made me think that um, it's, it's almost like Frank Herbert is making, like, tangible stuff um, kind of holy. So both the, the water and the spice is not just a resource. It's like a spiritual, it's like spiritual importance to a, next, to a certain extent with the way that, like with, with the way that it affects the people and the ecology of the planet. So he has like an interesting way to like interconnect that because even in real life religions, there are aspects of the natural world that are like seen as miracles or seen as, blessings blessings holier that like so i I don't know like i hadn't really thought about it that way to me like the water is a resource is the yeah direct way of looking at it but it definitely feels and the spice it feels more important than that and the spice especially because of the text so yeah yeah all right so what's the next question Dr. Kynes is a planetary ecologist and a prominent leader of the Freemen. His meeting with Paul and subsequent allegiance signals an important turning point in negotiations of Arrakis and Paul's influence. What was your impression of the character? So, let me see. Oh, and there's going to be a bonus movie question because I thought the casting choices were really interesting as it relates to this character. Um, Keep switching. But what do you guys think? Any thoughts on this character? I, I like him. I like his little the additional thing in the book. Like, my father is here. Why does he keep criticizing me? Just leave, help me out. Why do you keep lecturing? And I, that was that was cool. I, I, and I recognized him from the film. I'm like, I know that's guy. I know who he is. Okay, good. I, I get the reference. But hey, he's he's fine. I'm I'm, I'm good with it. it. It still moves the story forward a bit. So I'm like, all right, keep reading. I like think. The- oh, go ahead, Heather. I'm sorry. I feel like he plays a much more important, like if we're looking at it in the span of like a, like a hero cycle, this is the wise man that like tells yeah. him, yes, he is the wise man that like gives you all the information of your background. He's like, this is what's going to go down. This is what He's your you Obi-Wan to do. He is your Obi-Wan. Yes, exactly. He's not a minor character. I feel like he's the one but- that we would need someone like him in the storyline. He does mm-hmm. die, just like Obi-Wan, so. 
Well, yeah, that's part of the hero's journey. If your mentor, your mentor has to. Yes, your no one really sees that his death is, you know, he who passes the gas uh, spice. Uh, I forgot the Green term. spice mask that explodes. Right. So no one sees him, goes on in a blaze of glory. He's just out there, just wandering and just having this conversation. Long. He's already lost. Which is also very a messiah image to like die hallucinating, wandering in the desert. Yeah. I don't which, know if I was reading into that. Which, not a spoiler, but something like this happens later on in another book. Oh God! <laughs> um, I will not do that. Um, do there's that. there's correlations there, but I, I think Kynes is interesting to to look at because he also is doing the exact same thing, of what the Fremen are doing. So I'm not sure if Kynes is influencing influencing the Fremen to think about changing the the, 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 the climate and the culture or the culture, but the ecology of of Dune, or if it's them. And he's just going like, okay, well, let's go with it, and here's how we can do this. So I'm not sure which came first, Dr. Kynes' thoughts about changing Arrakis, or the Fremen's idea of changing Arrakis. Which also goes generations was, back because his dad had yeah. influence. <clears throat> right. Yeah. So I am curious to see where that, who had that train of thought, you know? Mm-hmm. His father. It was Kynes' <laughs> father. <laughs> I'll give you the answer to that one. But his is, is, the, is his father the one influenced the Fremen to think about changing the ecology? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was his father. I mean, like, the, his father was introduced into the planet. He basically, Instead. they thought of him as a religious figure as well. We have to, we have to speak about that. And that's another he, point I wanted uh, to bring up. Like, the, the yeah. scientist figure as kind of another version of a savior or, right. again, like, lifting the veil where, like, right. the the, the influence is kind of seen as magic or yeah. prophetic or holier. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if, if I may just uh, continue. Yes, it was his father who came up with this idea, this funny girl that was like, you know, the, the concept of being able to use a people as a force of ecology, yeah. a, a directed force of ecology. And then that he passed on this dream to his son. Now his son basically had the he was a, a great leader of the Fremen, but in, in a lot of ways he was also the continual icon for that idea or the religion of water, if you want to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he had to basically pass it on, it's sort of like he's the one who had to um, protect Paul to allow him to become what he becomes. And it, it, I, I just found that uh, fascinating that you have to do that while still playing uh, <laughs> the analytical scientists at the same time, and that he's two people in one. He has to believe the, uh, the paleontologist and the uh, the what was it? The judge of the change, since he was the one who had to to change things or or basically be the the emperor's arbiter on the planet, or. Uh, yeah, it's judge. a dual role, dual responsibilities and dual presentations, which I think is also mm-hmm. true of how like some of the people in power have to present themselves where there's a face they need to put forward and then something else that they're really doing behind the scenes. Um, so movie talk. So uh, his gender was changed for the film uh, with the casting of this actress, Sharon Duncan Brewster. So why do you think this decision was made and do you think it'll have an impact on the story? And by that, I don't necessarily mean like they'll change 
aspect of the plot or decisions because the character is a woman. I mean, from an audience perspective, do you think you'll read certain situations, certain decisions? Will there be like subtext that is maybe added or maybe nothing at all? Maybe it doesn't change anything. Um, and, and that relates to everything from the influence of science and religion and even the death of this character. Like, what do you think? One, why do you think this change maybe happened? And two, what do you think it'll do for the story? Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> from the first movie, it's not just a gender bender, it's a racial swap too. Because in the first movie, she's depicted, uh, or he's depicted as a white man. And I feel like having her be a person of color in the new movie coming out is showing like the desert people aren't just a, the freemen aren't just male people dressed in garbage bags in the desert randomly. So I love the fact that like there are more people of color being represented because when you think about like the people that would live in the desert, you your mind does not go to that pale pasty white person from the IT department. We're gonna freckle. No, which we were seeing a little bit in book one. I, I think it would be interesting. I do feel, however, that they're going to give her more lines, more dialogue to try and help explain the book in the movie. I think they're going to use her character to kind of sum up a little bit of some plot lines and give her some more dialogue. So I'd be really interested in also just seeing w more women in different positions in the film having different acts of like power being represented in different ways would be just in general really interesting. So I'm more interested in now than I would be from just reading them in the book. I was just like, oh, they're the, they're the important wise men. They're gonna give us some info. I feel like in the new movie, we're gonna be given more. Okay. So I'm really interested. But I'm like, it's a woman. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. I think also, doesn't she play like Chani's mother? Yeah. 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 So already wrapped up little storylines because it, it's it's gonna be good i'm, I'm excited i'm excited. I, I think when we just mentioned before joe mentioned that uh, about the the, the the equivalent male version of the Bene Gesserit with the, the kinds that we now have a female version of that so we have the Bene Gesserit of the, the religion and we have a woman now that's holding the sign nice. so it's just like a running parallel uh, focal point for both because it's interesting to see you know a woman that's also in, in charge of power and has this knowledge that she imputes upon the people who live there so it's just a th another side of just looking at you know what's it uh, the thing is um, religion is something you have faith on until science can prove it or something to that effect mm -hmm. So it's just, it's interesting to see the science and the religious aspects both going at it in this aspect, so. Yeah, it's gonna be really interesting to see their take on it because women depicted in the book are a little bit different. They're, they marry into power or they sneakily place themselves in positions where they'll eventually get what they want. This person has already just been given a place. Working towards she it, sneak her way into this. She was kind of, in a way, she was born into it. I think because if her father was there giving her a, basically something to step into, it it would be interesting to see how 
this might change the way people feel about the characters in Dune. Yeah, and I'll, I'll agree that um, that Dune, even, even for its time, does like boast and showcase a lot of female strength and influence, which is part of the reason that I always liked it growing up and why I think it has a lot of female fans that I've met. Um, but you're right that like the machinations of like how those women, those women come to power are very strict mm-hmm. in, um, in a way that might be seen as detrimental in the modern era. So just a slight alteration to just having a woman present in this kind of position, it, it could be a benefit. But the, the other thing about her race is but I do like the acknowledgement that like this is the future and a diversity of, of human um, like races and ethnicities and presence is kind of the norm. Because um, I think it's more representative of, of real life. Mm-hmm. All right. That was the only casting choice I, like we talked, I, I mentioned on this PowerPoint, but um, we might talk more about it uh, as we move forward. Oh, I have feelings on Duncan, Idaho. <laughs> I have so many. That's why we're going to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Um, so this, I think this is the, the thing that I feel like coming back to in this section because with Dr. Hines talking about his her father, the influence that they had, the the way that they kind of lay out the the roadmap of change among the freemen and what Dr. Hines takes over. Um, Paul's father died, I think, at the end of the last section. So sorry, Melinda, spoilers. Um, <laughs> so he's like reeling from that. That's really, despite knowing that it was coming, it still really hits, and it also really hits because of how young he is. Um, Jessica basically comes into like a huge amount of power that I don't know if it's mentioned in the end of book two it definitely becomes a thing in book three but that influences even her unborn daughter Um, so the way that I phrase the question is legacy is an important theme of the book Um, in his dying moments Dr. Hines recalls his father also an ecologist of Arrakis who tried to enact great change to the planet uh, the death of the Duke also greatly impacts Paul's journey and to bring it back world bending, the world building the Bene Gesserit have been working towards an end goal for a millennia. So this is this has been in the works for a while. It's stuff that Bene Gesserit who began on it would have never gotten to see. Um, it was just something that was supposed to happen way down the line. So what is your takeaway from this? And my question is, are the sacrifices worth it? I really hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. Fingers crossed. Because we're dealing like Paul's dealing with the aftermath of his father's death and leaving, and he's really upset. He's in a while not even able to grieve, and he like looks at his mother and he tells her, you know, what the Duke was feeling because with all of his Christian abilities, he's able to know that like, and he tells his mom like, oh, the Duke would have married you. That was his biggest regret. He didn't think that you were the one that was leading him into harm's way because there's all this foreshadowing that like something bad is gonna happen and you're gonna end up dead. Do not go to Arrakis. And it's kind of Jessica, she has a lot of like stress and woe to get over because she's the one who started it all. If she wouldn't have had Paul and just had a girl like she was supposed to, we wouldn't have the prophet ahead of time. She wouldn't be put in this position where she now has to basically try and fit in with a freeman and make do in this situation. She's been- So you think the suffering should make it worth it? 
yeah, the suffering is the legacy, basically. Um, all the angst, all the angst <laughs> building up. Oh, Gene, you have something to say to that? <laughs> to no, I just, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Maybe suffering is just what it is. I have to live with them. Um, and the legacy that's being left behind of being like an honorable and just character, like Paul's father was all about like, you know, honor and being a really nice, upstanding person. And I feel like that was to his Well, not nice. I don't know if I'd call that. Well, not necessarily nice, but he was beloved. Like a lot of people loved him or they wouldn't like stick by him or think so highly of him. And if, and, and if nobody felt like that, why would then the emperor be out to try and murder your entire house? Um, so I feel like there's a legacy behind, like you have to, there's a lot of growing and evolving that some of these characters have to do. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to see what will happen. I guess the fact that I know, because I've never read the sequels, the fact that I know that they span like thousands and thousands of years mm -hmm. makes me think, well, it, it has to be worth it. Like, you're right that like the suffering kind of is the point and um, especially Jessica's baby girl who's not born until book three, like that poor character. <laughs> has so much awareness so much power so much that she inherits before she's even born yeah she and preparation no no help <laughs> no yeah. but like but because of that she's to some extent like someone who triggers a lot of change with what she does in book three mm -hmm. and um i don't know like what her character does in future books i hope <laughs> joe's laughing it's making me nervous <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope it's thing. good. <laughs> oh, uh, or at least memorable. Yeah. 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 It starts off good. Oh. It turns oh. out. It turns out Everybody has a happy ending. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. We'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. No, but um, <laughs> but legacy. Well, yeah. It, <laughs> I hate to to put such a cliche note on this, but it feels like it, this is um, an expanded version of the circle of life. Mm -hmm. You can almost hear the, the music in the background, but the, the simple fact that it's like, uh, well, what do we take from the past and bring into the future? How does it, how does it shape our future? And that's a rather poignant question, especially for Paul, since he's able to see the future, but yeah. as he sees it and has it described in the book, Oh, which, sorry. which I, I almost oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Uh -huh. Well, I almost want to say that like it's potentially also a hindrance that he can see the future because if you're in a position where you're trying to enact long-term change to the point where you're like, I might never see like the fruit of my labor, I might never see like what happens from all this sacrifice and effort, you can still hold on to the hope that it was worth it. But I feel like knowing the exact or like at least a, a, having a kind of a more concrete idea of what the outcome will be, would that make it harder? And I feel like no, having those prophetic visions is just really torturous for Paul and it makes him, I don't know, like it doesn't, it doesn't ease the pain that he's in. What, what I would have to say though is that it, at least it doesn't make him fatalistic. Like, okay, this is the only route and that's, that's true. all that, well, may, maybe I'm a little uh, incorrect in that because what he's attempting to do is to avoid the the most probable future, because the way I like to see the way how he does it is he's seeing lines of probability. He's saying, okay, if uh, A goes to B, but if I 
step to the side, A goes to C, and then we circumvent B and go to E, or or what have you. But he he's trying to to avoid the jihad. Mm-hmm. But he understands that's, that's that a that big terror right now. Inevitable, right? And he um, it's like him trying to keep his sanity while doing so. And uh. Well, let's just say the second book is giving me a lot of more reflection on the first one. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm just saying it's it's definitely worth reading after to say, oh, okay. This is the aftermath of all that's occurred. Okay. And not to take anything away from the original two, which is I'm <laughs> So, yes, be nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the last mm-hmm. question, and I think Heather pointed out this was technically on book one, but I decided to end with it. Um because I think you see a lot of a lot of it being applied. So the people who can destroy a thing, they control it. So consider this quote, both in the context of the book and outside of it, how has this manifested in book two or even in book one, if you're still in there? Um, and in the frame of our world today, environmentalism, politics, civil rights, et cetera, do you think this phrase holds true? Which is kind of very deep. I don't know if we can like really yeah. tackle it, but what do you think? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I feel like if you can if if you can destroy something that means you know how it works, you probably at least saw how they built it. Um, and if you can see that and you can convince enough people with persuasion, you can probably control it. Um, you could create a monopoly on it like they did with trying to create a monopoly on the spice, um, making sure that nobody else could have it. They could drown the worms, they could, and people are addicted to it. So once you become addicted, if you stop, you'll die. Um, so I feel like in a way- Destroying it would basically- But yeah. maybe, maybe they're willing to take it that far. It's like, something happens to me, all of you, out of luck. Yeah, which which makes, it, it's like a, a slightly scarier, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's like a very frightening way to look at power and how to obtain it. It's a terrifying thing to sit to in modern times. Mm-hmm. Right now what's going on in, in the world today, like you've got someone who's in charge of things who will not concede, and it's just, what are you doing? You know, it's, yeah, it's up in the air. It's a very yeah, he doesn't even know what he's doing at this point. He's like, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep staying here. Like, that's not how this works. It's a bad thing that you're there. I don't know. It's a very strange thing. But yeah, it it fits the quote. And I think the quote helps to to showcase that like a lot of things are basically very fragile in a way that like maybe only the people in control are really aware of. Um, And that's another aspect of power that like I hadn't really considered. Anyone else, any any last thoughts on it? On on that point, because at at a certain point, Atreides come over, take over Arrakis. They're in control, not really. The Fremen pay off the guilds not to have satellites over them but they're not in control. Mm-hmm. So I don't know anyone, even the Harkonnens, when they come back, are they even in control of anything? So I don't think anyone really has control of Dune, at least not until we get to the end where things kind of change for the difference in, in, in Fremen's perspective. Power. Power changes. But right now, no one really controls this. It's such up in the air that it's a game. Like a Game of Thrones, almost. Yeah. Uh, uh, Is that why they're trying to... Sorry, we don't have to rant about that. Stop that. Uh-uh. 
He's an eight. Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh boy. Anything has control. It's people's like addictions to the spice. Yeah, it's basic needs of survival. The universe. That's what takes president. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it for my presentation. So hopefully, uh, the uh, one this uh, thing too. Look really forward to it. Great job. Yes, good job. All right. Uh, to see yeah, wait one. for the third one. All right. So the Dune surprise. Surprise. <laughs> uh, surprise. No, okay. Just so, surprise. Have a, okay. Right. <laughs> so, we, Heather and I talked about this, I think, almost a year ago when we were kind of coming up with the idea about doing this book club. And since we have a 3D printer, Oh, I found this on Thingiverse and I can print this up. So when we were planning to have this in person, like I wanted to print up Chris and I for everyone. That's like a little memento. That's sweet. But if you show that to us, aren't you supposed to like kill us or something? Yes, they're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So what kind of a surprise is that really? All the lights really? are about <laughs> to go out. Well, you could use it as a bookmark. I can't take that for you, Monty. I have to win that in battle. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> not the dark scene, right? no, sorry. We'll be in this Someone hasn't seen that yet, but anyway. But, uh, <laughs> hold on. Went back. What happened? Okay. Um, but um, whenever we get back into social norms, I mean, there's a lot of people locally that I can print up and I can send you your own version of that. But they'll be like after the third one. So it's kind of like an enticement to kind of finish the book club with us. Um, but <laughs> since we're not going to do Dune memes, I wanted to kind of, again, make it lighthearted and laugh because we all need to have laughter. Um, I found something about Dune. This is based on the movie, so everyone can join in. Remember, this is supposed to be, you know, Star Wars after Star Wars, and like make this a thing for kids? What could that be? A coloring book. Because remember, we've had the, all the adult coloring books that have come out in the recent Right, <laughs> and it's perfect right now. A dollar ninety-five, what a steal. I know. I'm so I was sorry. looking on Amazon. That book, I think, is going for at least a couple hundred. Oh my god! Wow! It yeah. would. It would. Yeah, I would. So I found I'd a couple of, of my favorites that I wanted to share and to see how ridiculous it would be for a child to color these kind of books. From That's the staying already. So, so no. <laughs> All right. So we have the ending with Paul, you know, in his robes. With robes. But there's a fight scene with, you know, Paul and Stilgar, uh, still, uh, Fade, uh, which is just. Mm -hmm. Fade Ralph, yeah. And I'm like. Dang, Melinda. It's Do they have to draw in, like, the violent? <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> so Here, Timmy, fun. have the red crayon. The red, the orange. Or the blue, like a lightsaber, you know. I don't know. It gets really weird. Oh, oh my God. I love it. <laughs> Tell you, this was made for Heather. Yep. Oh, I mean, I can see Heather having fun you with fake. Color editions. 
Next meeting. <laughs> uh, I'm sad, we, we don't want to color in the eyebrows. It's already done for you. Like you can't really make them. <laughs> You can use a highlighter, make them stand out. Oh boy! We must go to the. Park. Oh lord! So oh, my favorite is, is. Oh my god! The speaker. Look at the fear in his eyes. The box. He's just like. Mom, what's that? Oh, honey, that's the hunter's. Put your hand in the box. It it the the amount of violence. That you putting in an, a, a coloring book is mind-boggling. I love the I love the description. Paul Maybe. takes out his poison detector. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I would never have my kid watch this movie when it was then, let alone have an activity book. Like, hey, can you color yourself away. <laughs> no, so, I wouldn't stop right now. Have, Maybe this was. Want to see the milking cat? <laughs> And he still doesn't look like oh, but I'll find I'll find something more later on. The right. next two are my favorite. And then the, these are the last two. Oh. How can you color the bear? <laughs> oh, no. I will burn the sickness. Burn away the sickness. <laughs> that is wow. just says the baron's doctor. Yeah. And then Dr. Yui gets ready to poison the poison. <laughs> Oh my God. And he's Huey, 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 I'm the not enough for Huey. And he's got his tooth. Do we see the tooth? No, no tooth. I will draw that in, don't worry. But there is a, a Baron Harkonnen word search that has words on his chest and you're supposed to follow the direction to see what type uh. of is And I'm like... No. Oh my God, that's cool <laughs> So, saving the best for last, this is like the most inappropriate coloring page you should have for a child. Oh, man. Oh, my God. You Peter die. And I'm like, honey, you didn't stay in the color lines for Peter. <laughs> Who made this coloring book? They're just sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> He's so tired. Right there. I mean, it's he the worst comic book ever. It really is. And the activity. Who approved it? And why do they still have a job? That's good. I mean, honestly, if you looked at Dune and you didn't understand it, there's no way I'm going to get this from my kids. Say, here, color. <laughs> and like hang that on the refrigerator. I don't think you should. Color outside the lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this uh, is fantastic. Yeah, that is merchandising 101. Don't do that. I mean, it's worth it's something, hard. right? You said it was hard to. Right, I said a hundred something. <laughs> Somebody bought it. So maybe Somebody we should do it. that. I know? bought the Game of Thrones coloring book. There you go. Uh, oh, so God, Heather. Oh, the twins. Twins were in it. Uh, for sand or spice cookies or whatever. Um, there's also one that looks like a sandworm, but it's made out of bread. That's so like let me see what we can do for next time to kind of explore the merchandising side of it. But uh, I thought the coloring pages were just 
That's a hot special. It's amazing. <laughs> Not for everyone. Not for everyone. Yes. Not for everyone. So, all right, guys. So, thank you. We're actually good on time. So, book three, finally, our last part of Dune will be done January 16th, 2021. So, before we go, uh, a couple of things I want to talk about. Do we want con to continue this group as what? To talk about more of Dune? More of Dune? Um, as a series, or you want to focus on other books, I'm kind of open. Um, plus, there's stuff like The Mandalorian just came out. There's plenty of Star Wars books that come out. I don't know what to, what you guys want to do, but I'm open to everything and anything. Just like Melinda and I are doing Sandman, I would love to do as much as we can but it depends on what the group wants to do. So we don't have to answer right now. I'm just giving you some food for thought. Jasper Ford? No, oh boy. Can we mute you? <laughs> <laughs> James has uh, been trying to get him to read this book for years. He's been, pushing, I've been pushing him on Dune. So at least Harry I, Potter? He's got hey, Harry Potter? <laughs> Excuse me. Mute. <laughs> Um, um, I don't know what I'll be able to do in February. Um, I think I might still be able to join in. Right. But, because we're back um, in the promotion. Yay! Throw me, your, yeah, throw, me, throw me your requests, books you want to see in the system. Mm. Uh, my email's always open. But what I wanted to say was, as, like, as much as I like doing a deep dive section by section in such a massive book, we might want to break. Uh, for the next one, we might want to just read one short book, even if it's part mm -hmm. of a larger series. I know Monty had mentioned Foundation by yeah. Asimov. That's a that's an option. We can still keep doing sci-fi, and Foundation has a lot of sequels. But um, I've read the first book, and I think it's it's pretty self-contained. I think it's only like three hundred pages, so we can toss up options. I'd say next time uh, when you come on board, uh, if you have, just think about books that you might want to read and discuss and if it's something that we can promote and even put up for the general public to view, like podcast format or even on YouTube, um, something that you think would be interesting both to you personally and to a broader audience. Uh, so especially something that you have a lot to talk about uh, would be my suggestion. Yeah. I mean, we started this because we wanted to time it in, in, in with the movie, with the movie yeah. this month. And of course, that's out the window. Always circle back. Dune, Dune is not going right, to... It never goes out of style. So the idea is that if we have this recorded and you just are new to Dune, you have this when you're done with the book or watch this and get inspired to read the book, then... As you're reading, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Oh, so there's... That, that's also another option. You can look and see like what's up and coming trends. Really, since Cyberpunk 2077 just came out, I've been dying to reread Neuromancer. So that's an option. That's a good one. <laughs> I gave it to my brother, so I'll I'll drag him to this book talk if we have one on here. The OG cyberpunk. Yeah. Um, and then two, um, does the once a month work for you? Are you able to feel like you can manage having a book like this be discussed 
on a Saturday or do you think a, a different day would work like at during a week or at night or I don't know. I'm just making sure that we're, we're trying to optimize as best as we can with a good audience that are really are into what we love. Because that's the main thing is that us as librarians have a, a, a passion for something in this collection that we have, whether it's cooking or doing activities and sports or reading science fiction. If we don't talk about this, that book to you will never go out of the collection. But because we have this, this love for science fiction, I want us to share that love to get other people on board to be, to tackle something like Doom, because I would never have done that if someone not encouraged me to go into Doom. Yeah. So. I want all the giant nerds to be. <coughs> so. So, Melinda, did we scare you off about Doom? No, I have a question. Yes. So, so for the 16th, Book three. I that just mean finish this, right? That doesn't mean like children of Dune. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, like, no, 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 no. I need to read Rosaya next. The novel. <laughs> oh, we're not getting that far. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Very good. Most of the time, it should have been just one book, but because this is a thick book and there's yeah, three it is. and it's, it doesn't have chapters. It's, right. Exactly. Like, figure it out. You know. Yeah. <laughs> three books within one. The sayings at the beginning of the book really pay off at the end. Okay. Understand why that comes together. And lots of things come together. So I'm excited, kind of like, let's get to because it's so we're finally building to this end, it's the climax. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thank you guys for all the hard work you put in and for letting me participate and be a part of it. Yes. I will. I'll definitely come. And fingers crossed, I'll have the book finished. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna try my best. Try your best. Yep. And we'll As Yoda says, don't try, do. But you know, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> cross the streams. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh. Anyone else want to comment before we go? Um, no, I just want to say thank you, Marty, and thank you, Heather, and thank you. Uh, everyone who worked and contributed to do this, I'm, I'm happy to be able to share my love for these books. And I just hope that this does continue in some way, shape, or form. I realize we're going to finish Dune, but uh, I'm saying uh, I'll be happy to do it with other books or other interests within this genre. Because that's one of the things I, I, I think I miss most about being a bookseller. Is when someone would come in and I would have to ask, hey, um, what you call it? Okay, you're looking at the sci-fi books. What have you written before? Maybe I can uh, guide you into something you may enjoy. Because mm -hmm. I, I remember one guy, I mean, this was years ago. Uh, one guy who came in, he said he really loved all the cyberpunk books or whatever else. And I had just finished reading uh, Peter Hamilton's, uh, um, oh, brother, what was the name of that series? Uh, the Night's Dawn trilogy? Well, I, I think I offered him the reality dysfunction because I said, look, th this will give you a pretty um, similar read. And then I remember the payoff. The guy came back uh, like maybe a week later and he bought every other book. In the series. So I was like, yes, I did my job. <laughs> Your reader, that's library love for you. That's and, and that's exactly what we would be doing at, uh, on a library level. Every branch needs to have 
us come together like this. You know, yeah. so. I love meeting together with such a cool group of people. I miss all of you, Joe and Eugene. And I definitely want to do this again, no matter what we read. I would like to play with zombies eventually. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right, guys. So on that note, Christmas. Yes. Uh, I think Hanukkah's already done. Merry Christmas, everyone. Festivus is over? I don't know. Maybe? I don't know. I don't know if Festivus has occurred yet. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it was like on the 22nd or 23rd. I don't remember. Yeah. So, <laughs> happy holidays, everyone. Stay safe. And we'll happy see everyone in the future. Happy New Year. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank the maker. everyone. Thank you. Bye, guys. All right, so that's going to be the end of our podcast for today, and I do hope you enjoyed Doom Book Club Part 2. We are going to have another version of this podcast, but it'll be a video podcast, which if you go to my YouTube channel, you'll be able to see what we were all talking about. And for Book 3, next month, I will be releasing the third and final installment of our Doom Book Club, so make sure you subscribe to my podcast, whether it's audio or on video on YouTube. So on that note, if you have any comments, questions that you would love for us to answer, you can always email me at monstersci-fi-show at gmail.com. You can follow me in the various social networks. So again, thank you very much for listening to us on the Monster Sci-Fi Show. It's sci-fi from a certain point of view. Good night. here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Here at the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, we make every show from the finest ingredients. Juicy interviews, fiery film nights, delicious desert island DVDs. And pack it all into a slice of life in every episode. Order up our specials now from your delivery guys. Shine from Canada. Dan from Kent in the UK. And Paul from near Liverpool in the UK. Here on the ESO Network. The Cosmic Pizza Podcast. Serving you a slice of life. Mm Mmm-mmm. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.